Welcome to episode 106 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we sat down at Epicurrence. Like a week ago. A week ago with a live audience to chat with Meg Robichaud, who we've had on the show before. And Mackie Saturday. A new guest. Super fun. And at the end, we opened it up to audience questions. So you'll get to hear those as well. They're both super talented illustrators making incredible work. Meg, mostly like icons and illustrations and Mackie doing branding work for like a like a legendary firm now. It's kind of insane. If you enjoy the episode, leave us a review on iTunes. Those ratings really do help us move up the charts. They help new people find the show. Uh, so if you have listened along or even if this is your first episode, it'd be super helpful for us if you could just open your phone, open iTunes, leave a review, give us some feedback. We love reading your comments. Every little bit helps. So thanks so much if you've left a review and if you haven't already, uh, go do it. If you want to give us feedback in other ways, we're always on Twitter at Design Details FM or at Spec FM for the network. We've got six shows now, which is kind of crazy. Three developer shows, three like design shows. It's kind of nuts. And more coming soon. So follow along at Spec.FM and follow us on Twitter at Spec FM. With that, let's get into episode 106 with Mackie Saturday and Meg Roba Show. All right, Design Details. Who here listens to Design Details? Everybody. All right. All right. Two things before we get started. Uh, first, we're going to try something fun tonight. Uh, we've never done it before, but after Jeff and Julie talk to all of us, uh, Brynn and I are going to move upstairs. Are we'll we? All, Do we have to go upstairs? We'll take all the recording stuff upstairs. Okay. And we would love to invite every single person to come answer one mystery question. It was three a minute ago. Is it a yes or no question? There's three there's a pool of three questions. You'll oh. get one of them, and you have to answer it within three He never minutes. tells me this stuff. Uh, and you can intro yourself. The goal of which will be to have a design details episode with like 50 people on it, which would be rad. So uh, so that'll be tonight. We'll be set up upstairs, so just come up and say hi for two minutes. We'll do it like one at a time so you don't hear each other's answers and cheat. Uh, second thing Yeah, that'll is, be way better than this, so everybody should do it. Yeah, it'll be... Way more fun. Way uh, better. <laughs> way, way better. <laughs> uh, second thing is, not to like self-promote, but we just released an episode yesterday with uh, Dan and Drew. And Drew Wilson. I would really encourage you all to listen. Dan shared a lot about what it takes to put this kind of thing on. Everyone knows how much work he's put into this, but... Uh, it makes us appreciate it even more. Yeah. If you have a chance, listen to Dan, kind of share what's going into this, how much work he puts into this the life that he's put into this. Uh, this is a really special thing. So thank you, Dan, for making this happen. Thanks, Dan. How are you feeling, Bryn? Terrible. How, how much are you going to talk, Bryn? Not much. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right, we're going to start off. Uh, we're here with Mackie Saturday and Meg RoboCode. Uh, rip a show. Rip a show, rip a chord. Will you just just say it, Rob Show? Rob Show. Okay. Uh, and we here's uh, actually one more thing before we get started. This is an interesting thing because we are recording it and this will go live. Uh, but at the end, we want to take listener questions. So start thinking about questions for these guys. If you ask questions, we'll put those in the show. Uh, we'll bring the mic to you so you can ask it, and and it'll all flow very smoothly. So start thinking of questions. That'll be at the end. We'll probably do like fifteen minutes of that. We always start our episodes by letting our guests introduce themselves in their own words, however they describe. Uh, so let's get started with Mackie and Meg. Meg. Meg's a pro. She's done this before. I'm Meg Robichaud. 
Meg Draws, because nobody can pronounce it or spell it. I'm a freelance illustrator. My name is Mackie. Hi, Mackie. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite intro thus far. <laughs> Buddy. <laughs> this is going to be tough. What are you working on, Mackie? Well, we're doing an interview, I thought. Uh-huh. So that's what I'm working on right now. All right, all right. <laughs> Meg, let's start with you. <laughs> Ladies first. <laughs> A year ago, you were homeless, traveling the world, and you mentioned that you were feeling lost. Could you tell us a little bit about what's been going on for you in the past year uh, leading up to, to coming here to Park City? Yeah, so... I guess when I compare Epicurrence 1 and Epicurrence 2, when I came to Epicurrence 1, I was, I was, I'd been freelancing for five years and everything was going like great and enough that I could be like, okay, so I can do this forever. I'll be fine. Uh, but like, what am I, what am I doing with myself? So I was, I don't know. I was, I was kind of floundering. I was like, I'll, I'll like, I'm freelancing. I'll be fine. But like, what am I building? I'm not building anything. I'm not doing anything. So I was feeling really lost. And I th I'm pretty sure at the last Epicurrence, I, I was going around everyone and asking them like, what, what, what's my next move supposed to be? Am I, am I supposed to start a, a firm? Am I supposed to join a company? Do I need a mentor? Like, I'm just so lost and uh and at the same time I, I that that was like the I had just become homeless because I nomad nomad is what you're supposed to say yeah but I, we, can, I, we can clarify the, the homeless piece yeah. <laughs> so your solution to feeling lost was to go wander no I a little bit a little bit I was I went and wandered I put all my stuff in storage uh but so, so comparing this epigrance to the, to the last one, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm starting something new and I know where I'm going and I'm not lost anymore. What changed? What happened this year? I got a job. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Baby's first job. Never had a job before. Um... Starting in two weeks, I'm going to get my first job with uh, Shopify as the illustrator lead and uh, redefine all of their, get, make them a guide, make, go full-time, full-time, is that right? I've never done that before. Do you have to get a home? No, no, certainly not. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm still working remote and... Still working freelance, just like a, a little teeny tiny bit, but uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go have a job. Awesome, Mackie! Congratulations! Yes, congratulations, <laughs> Mackie! Yes, in in more than a few words. Nope. <laughs> we haven't had you on the show before. We've had Meg on the show. Uh, so people yes. people know a little bit. Um, just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you've been working on. Uh, and maybe the same thing, kind of what's been going on this past year to get you to, uh, to right now in Park City. Okay. 
I'm Mackie. We established that, yes. I think. <laughs> it's, um, it's a fact. <laughs> it's, it is a fact. You are correct. You're not uh, branding yourself very well. <laughs> that's okay. Or am I? Minimalist. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I focus exclusively on brand identity, mostly, mostly just visual identity design. I've always had my own studio. That's all I've ever done. Um, and I get to work with a lot of really cool people and have. Uh, what's some of the projects you've worked on? Uh, There's like, just too many. He can't remember. No, I, I mean, the ones that everybody knows right off the bat, because we're all a bunch of tech techies, are like Instagram and Oculus and Lux and Hello and things like that. How did that happen? How did you get to the point as an individual studio working with brands like Instagram and Oculus, defining their identity? I don't know. Let's explore it a little bit, <laughs> Mackie. Let's go back a few years. Yes. I don't know how many. Okay. How did you first get into design? Why, why are you interested in brand design? That's a great question. That was two questions. That was two questions indeed. I'm just intentionally making this hard for you. I'm sorry. Because your shoulder... He's, he's so everything. happy about it. <laughs> he's loving this. Uh, I enjoy design. Yes, you're, you're right. I've had my... St- own studio going on nine years, but not anymore. What and what was the other question? How did you even start? How did I even start? What happened nine years ago? Nothing happened nine years ago, really. I just kind of started doing stuff. But I mean, I've always done art as a as a pursuit and as a way to make money. That's all I've ever really done ever since I was very young, um, except except for like mowing lawns and shoveling driveways and manual labor. So those two things. Okay, and what's what's the most recent development? You no longer have the studio. I no longer have the studio. What's happened? I joined a, another studio in New York. Tell us a little bit about that studio. Cause we, does anyone know anything about that studio? Like, does yeah. it even, is it a thing? Has Some, anyone heard of it? Most people have not, probably, because the name is very long. It and, is very long. And quite confusing. The website's short, luckily. Um, the studio's called Chermayev Geismar Haviv. Very long. It's Ivan Chermayev, Tom Geismar, and Sagi Haviv, their last names. Those are the three partners um, and there are now four principals those three and myself um, they've been around for 59 years uh, Tom and Ivan founded the studio and are still working today at 83 and 84 years old um, every single day probably harder than all of us it's really incredible um, and yeah they've made some of the the world's greatest identities and some of the most enduring brands ever like Chase, Mobile, National Geographic, Showtime, NBC, the list goes on and on and on. You can thank them for the fact that you get to call yourself graphic designers because they kind of pioneered that. They come from the era when it wasn't called that and when it wasn't really a thing. It was commercial art and you had to work for an advertising agency um, and they pushed away from that alongside a few other people and kind of defined uh, that, that we deserve to be graphic designers, um, which is very cool. And then they also pioneered the whole principle that like you could be represented in a very simple symbol. So what does it mean to be a principal at a studio of that caliber? It means that I get to work alongside those three guys. Um, but it's, it, it is very humbling and it's, it's very exciting. Um, and I could, I could never ask for a better education or a better learning, I don't know, environment than that. And so I just started. I've only been there like a month, um, but it's been very, very humbling and very incredible. And 
they're just so sharp. They're, they have such clarity in all things. Uh, it's, it's incredible. I think it's a pretty big decision to move from doing your own work, freelancing, nomading, uh, running your own studio, to taking on a job, whether it's full-time or otherwise. Uh, and certainly many people have been through the same process before, but could you just share a little bit about like what was going on in your head when you had to evaluate whether you were going to stay independent or transition your work to being for someone else, for someone else's studio, someone else's company. What was that decision like? It was super scary. It, I feel like there's, there's kind of, there's only a few things that people know about me. I'm like, I'm a freelance illustrator. I'm a nomad. And maybe like some toss up between I snowboard or I tweet about food a lot. And for a long time, it was like, if I take a job, it, it's kind of sacrificing those two things. And, and I'm, I kind of worked for a while to get there. And, and I really like that identity. And, and I'm not, I'm not ready to give up that identity. And, and what if I get stuck? What if I get shadowed behind this company? And, and now I'm just, just like one piece of this big company and I'm no longer Meg Draws. I really like being Meg Draws. Um, and I think that's why it took me so long to even be open to it. Uh, and it's, it's just been a flat no forever. Um, what was the tipping point? It became a conversation. Do you have to change your Twitter name to Meg Draws for Shopify now? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that was the negotiation. Yeah, that, that's, it's worked in the con contract. Okay. Um, yeah, I got, I just, uh, I got to voice my fears about how I'm not ready to not be a freelancer and how I'm not ready to just leave the nomad thing. And, and they said, no problem. Let's, let's find a solution. And we did. And, and, uh, and the other side of it being like, I get to learn all these really cool things that I would never learn in freelance. And I get to see what it's like on the other side of a company. So even if I continue to define myself as a freelancer, I have to, I have to take this opportunity to learn because I'll be such a better freelancer. And, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll like it and not go back but I'm not ready to admit that yet. Okay, okay. And how about Free Mackie? Switching from your own studio of nine years to joining another studio, uh, obviously a reputable one, but what was that decision like? It was challenging, for sure. I mean, it was one of those moments, and it sounds so cliche to say, like, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but... If you look at it, not from a subjective standpoint, literally an objective standpoint, they're the only remaining guys from that era. I mean, there's, there's them um, and like Milton left and Milton still comes and hangs out because he lives in New York too. And so it's a take it now or forever hold your peace kind of, kind of thing um, to get to work alongside somebody like that. And you took the plunge. I did. Awesome. I did. Yeah. I mean, it's... It, yeah, it was very it was very counter to what I was gonna do. I was ready, so I was living in Denver, but I had my office in San Francisco as well. And I was getting ready to just move back to San Francisco full time. And then it literally went whoop other coast. Now you're in New York. Now I'm in New York. But yeah, at the last epic occurrence we were talking, you know, in Hawaii saying, Hey, I'll see you guys soon. I'm moving to San Francisco. Like And you let us all down. Yes. 
I let everybody down. Every single person here. I am a very, very big letdown. I want to get into something practical. Very good. How do you navigate the politics and the decision-making structure of another company when you are defining their brand, their illustrative style, you are not embedded in their design team, but you are coming in as the expert. How do you navigate the politics of the people that are making that decision of this is going to ship or this is not going to ship? I don't, I don't, I don't really navigate. I just give it to them and say, this is the answer. <laughs> do you ever find yourself in a room of, of uh, people that are not designers trying to push back on, on what you've created and, and move your style? Or have you ended up with clients that give you that freedom? I mean, anytime I work in on the tech side, people are already pretty confident in me and they, they give me a lot of freedom. And and when I show up and I explain why I did something, they're listening. And I don't I don't get a lot of pushback on the tech startup world. Anyone anyone from San Francisco totally thinks I have my shit together. But um, anytime I work on the like I, I feel like I kind of bridge the gap um, between the art side and the uh, tech world and anytime I go kind of more uh, print or or like with the typography guys uh, they they don't have as much confidence in me because because they just they don't use dribble which is kind of how I get most of my work so they they just like randomly found me on this stupid blog and they're like this she could use a good start and, and they don't have a lot of confidence in me. And then I have to sell myself. Do you ever have to do uh, any form of client education and telling them why, why what you've given to them is, is the right choice? Or is it really that easy that you, they just accept it and they have, they have confidence in you? I wouldn't say I'm like selling them on why it's the right choice. I think it's a lot more of us working together. It's, I mean... We, yeah, we just, we say like, does that actually work? And, and people give feedback. I mean, we're, there's, I don't think I sell it. I think it's a way more, way more of a conversation. Everyone pitches in and we all decide what we're going to do. And then I do it. I'm good at it. So it's, I get it the first time. How about for you, Mackie? Uh, th- this is where like Megan and I differ immensely um, because the, the work that we do is, is very drastically different in terms of what we're delivering. You're all just drawing clients. pictures. It's whatever, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just, I mean, I draw really Don't easy, I draw really easy pictures. She draws really hard pictures and I draw really, really easy pictures. So yeah, I don't do anything. Never mind. <laughs> no, tell us a little bit more. Um, but it's very difficult because I, it is my job to create something that is meant to be the visual identity of this company, this representation, something that they are going to become very, very proud of and is going to be hopefully that pleasurable point of recognition for the rest of the world to associate with them. Um, and that comes with a lot of weight and a lot of responsibility. So to your question of, of what is it like to sit in that room and to have, I don't know, the decision makers there, everybody that is valuable, how do you gain that trust? How do you get these things across? It is a very long, long process. Uh, it's not just a meeting room one day, that's for sure. Um, we could dig way into it. And I'm happy to talk more. I'll try to, I'd rather t- tell a story. I would love that. Because I think it, it illustrates something that a lot of people miss. Um, when Tom and Ivan designed the Chase logo 59 years ago, 
the only reason they got the job was because David Rockefeller was building this fantastic new building in New York, the Rockefeller Center. And Chase Manhattan Bank was going to have its global headquarters in this building. And so they came in and David Rockefeller actually has pretty good taste. He was a good art collector and he enjoyed good design. And he told them, you know, your, your logo is terrible because it was, it said like Chase Manhattan Bank. It had a picture of the United States and it had a globe and it had all these things. It was very complicated. Um, and he said, you need to work with these guys. They're going to design a, a better logo for you. And so they designed this logo that we all know now, sat down, presented it. And the chairman um, just goes, I hate this. He, he, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Meanwhile, the other people at the bank like, no, 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 it's good. We've got to do it. And David Rockefeller's like, it's good. It's really good work. You need it. He's like, I hate it. I hate it. They had a, you know, a pretty heated argument and it ended on the chairman saying, fine, you guys can have this for this building, but I do not ever want to see this on my business card. I don't ever want to see this on my letterhead. I do not want to have anything to do with this. Um, and that was how the meeting ended. And then six months later, obviously this had been adopted in the Rockefeller Center and everything. Tom and Ivan went in to spec some signage um, and they saw the chairman of the bank walking down the hallway and he had a tie with the logo printed all over it. He had he had a lapel pin with it. He had cufflinks with the logo. It was literally everywhere all over him because it had become the embodiment of what he was so proud of in that bank. And he loved it. And we still all know that logo 59 years later. And so how that transitions into your question really is we, we have to look at these things and it's not about what one likes or dislikes. It's really about what works. And for something to last for a very, very long time, it must be very simple. And we have to walk people through this process and show them how it can work, what it looks like in every context. And it must have a very good strategy behind it. Something that is removed of trend, something that is removed of opinion, um, but it needs to be distinctive. It needs to quickly burn into the mind. And if you can hit those things, you really succeed. As someone who knows nothing about brand design, can you just walk me through, I, I loved the example last night of Red Bull comes to you and says, we want to rebrand. How, how would you personally get started, assuming you're, you're previously at your studio or even at, even at the new studio, they come to you guys, how do you break down a project of that scale, uh, of that global recognition into something that you know you can achieve and be successful at? Sure. Um, first question is why? Because there's obviously an immense amount of equity in that brand. I mean, I think, and this goes to that question too, this would be a massive project because Red Bull itself probably... I don't know, over 60% of that company's value is just the brand. It's not the product. There's nothing, I mean, the product is, is good, but it's not an incredibly revolutionary product. It's the brand that they've built and that really is the, the equity that's there. So we need to establish what the problem is. Um, from there, we start to evaluate, okay, what are the strategic solutions to, to fix that problem? Uh, all the while, we have to maintain, obviously, the billions upon billions of dollars of equity that are already a part of that brand while still solving whatever that problem might be. Be that, that let's, let's use Red Bull and let's say, okay, the logo struggles to reduce. We know that's kind of true about it. So they're saying we, we have this new, I don't know, lid on all of our cans, a little tab, and we just can't put the logo in there. We need it to communicate better. So we've got to have something that reduces better. Or people in Brazil think that it, it looks like something else, um, you know, and we have to more clearly communicate. So we figure out what are all the problems, what's actually causing that to happen. And then we break that down very strategically into 
bite-sized chunks that we can help communicate to them and that we can clearly define and create a solution for. From that, we then will we'll create options too. We don't just say, we're not Paul Rand. We don't take that. Like it's one and done. Here's your brand book to even see your logo for the first time. Have fun. Um, you know, we sit down in a room and we walk through a couple hundred page presentation and it's not a fluff presentation. It's not like the, look at all this brand strategy. Here's a really nice story. We don't do any of that. It's very much a strategic approach to just here is the problem. Here is why it's being solved this way. Here are the words you said. Here are the visuals that are associated with that. Here's how that lasts for a very, very long time. Um, we let them look at those. We usually can come to a conclusion very quickly as to, to what should be pursued. We'll refine where necessary. And then we start thinking about application. And in the case of Red Bull, that would be massive. So the guidelines for something like that would also be another very, very extensive project. When I think of branding and illustration, it starts to move from what I understand to be very tactile, tangible aspects of design and value creation, uh, moving more into like brand equity and, and how you measure that and illustration. What, is, what does illustration add to a product and why is that important? Could you just talk about both of you a little bit about how you think of, of your work um, impacting uh, these kinds of things at a more abstract level than say uh, this button increased conversions by, by a certain percentage? Um, and how you kind of reconcile that maybe those two are, are somewhat interlinked, but but in many cases might be more abstracted out? I mean, I think we're, um, for illustration specifically, we're kind of deciding that it's it's a good it's a good way to solve any uh, sort of product pieces where. Like like four or four pages, any any place that it breaks is a super important part of the experience. And before it was a a part that we didn't care about. It was it's not our problem. It probably probably most of our users won't get there, uh, except that it's probably one of the most important places to to help them get back on track. And and that's like a a big place. The illustration is kind of making its way in is uh you you broke something you know it doesn't work and we'll we're big and fuzzy and friendly and we'll tell you about our brand and and hello let me give you a big hug and it's is that it it like it's a a bigger part of the experience than you would think does that make sense a hundred percent yeah sort of kind of what's an example so you've worked with some some companies on exactly this 404 pages uh anything that breaks empty states what is the impact of, of the work that you've done like actually bringing to the the companies? What have you seen be the positives of, of really paying attention to that? I don't know. I freelance. I get out after that. <laughs> okay. That's fair. Mackie? Yes. <laughs> On the brand side? Yes. How do you think about, about brand equity? How, how do you reconcile something that maybe is more abstractly measured uh, and design solutions around that very carefully mm-hmm. how how is it measured um, I mean you can measure it tangibly if you want you can look at those kind of things but it needs to be very long-term vision um, people don't like change change is a very scary thing and and we know that change for the better often is still very much hated um, and so that's something that we struggle with but brand equity is 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 extremely important um, and a lot of times that solution 
means that we solve all of the problems, but we don't cause the end user to even barely notice that we did solve all those problems, um, which is a really nice thing. And sometimes it means that we blow up their life and then they freak out. And then that's what builds a whole bunch of equity for, for a brand. It gets the recognition that it needs. Um, I, I don't know exactly how to, how to answer this question because I mean, I could tell stories of, of ways that it works or I could tell stories of different things that we've done. Um, could you tell a story about the hardest project you've worked on and, and some of the challenges that you encountered along the way? I don't know what the hardest project I've worked on is. I'll be honest. Um, I think I, Dan, Dan gave me something, some, something pretty fun the other day uh, that we could talk about this and about the value of strategically executing a brand. Okay. Because Dan brought me in to, to work on Lux and Gene still works at Lux. Um, and we took an extremely strategic approach to that rebrand. They had a symbol and they had a name originally and we got rid of the symbol and moved everything into a, a singular logo type um, because it was a very competitive market and it was there was two things going on there. There was the fact that people just didn't know what the company did at all. And then you had to, on top of that, get them to recognize that that name, or in their case, that name, and then that symbol was associated with this product that they didn't know what it was. And so we made a decision to say, okay, well, let's, let's remove part of that at least. And let's make it very, very clear to everyone that when they see this, they know at least who they're dealing with. Um, and yada, 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 things happened. We did this work. It got approved. Things have been good. Gene's been killing it over there. And now they don't have any Far more directed. competitors. And that's not to say that that was the brand that did that. But I think that it was a thing of empowering them to be able to execute very, very quickly in a very competitive market and become the go-to for said service. And in that case, we didn't keep any of what they had originally. Um, but it was a long-term investment. Whereas like Instagram, when we did that, they dropped it in at the end of the video and didn't say a thing to anybody. And then waited two weeks to even announce it so that if anybody had beef with it, we go, well, you already looked at it for two weeks. Why didn't you say something then? Oh, I didn't know that happened. <laughs> Crazy. That's smart. Yeah. One thing that Bryn and I have been thinking a lot about lately and talking with folks here about, and I think it's come up, is how to deal with critique. Uh, I'm asking this very naively because I'm working at a product company and we sit in a conference room and and critique each other's work. But I don't know how that works from, from a single person studio perspective, from a freelancer perspective, um, how you push yourself to learn from other designers uh, and continue to grow while you're working at home or traveling around the world. Uh, how do you guys approach critique and like making sure that the things you're doing are, are being well received from other designers that uh, have opinions that you value? You have to beg for it. It's, uh, I, I have like a, a set of people and I, and I tell them, I, I actually use redpen.io a lot. Um, but you, you have to send it to a lot of people and, and then you have to follow up and say, no, please, can you just give me some feedback? Please, can you, and, and it's. But really, why don't you like this pangolin? <laughs> don't, I can't draw a pangolin. <laughs> What's a pangolin? It's, uh, it's like kind of an armadillo type creature dinosaur thing they're endangered i can't draw it i work i worked on um a uh, anti-poaching project and for the most part we were only trying to save rhinoceros and elephants but pangolin get poached as well and they needed a pangolin icon and i just i just i couldn't do it it's i can't i can't 
job. <laughs> anyway, what was the question? So you have you, you have your own close network of of people who you've built trust with, mm-hmm. and you just spam them until they give you feedback. I'm, but I I mean I save it for something that I'm I'm anxious about, and and it's kind of like I uh, I know there's something wrong with it, and I just. I've been spinning my wheels for so long. Like it's, it's, I can't get feedback on everything that I work on. So, and either I've been spinning my wheels or, or the project is, has more weight. And then I, I want to make sure I get it right. And then I, and I have people that I can go and ask for. I also go out of my way to make sure I'm constantly trying to give people feedback and, and make myself available so that I can ask them later. Or, or, you know, also just because I, w- I want to be helpful, probably. Okay. That's totally fair. How about you, Mackie? Critique. Uh, in in the process? Mm-hmm. Or in the presentation? Both. Okay. Sounds like story time. N- not necessarily, but uh, I, think, I think in the process, it very much lends to why I joined CGH. Um, I had a, a, a deep struggle with the fact that I didn't, I could not find reliable critique. It was very hard to find people that were able to understand the problems that I was being asked to solve and then contribute valuable critique to that. So joining there, I have, you know, two of the most iconic legendary designers of all time working on every project with me. And then Sigi, who is much younger, but has also, you know, made a name in, in that space. Um, and the only reason I entertain that, cause I've never entertained any other position or joining, you know, another company before was because of the way they work. It's, it's so different and it is built around a consistent critique. What's very, very different about how we work is that on every single project, all four principles work on that project. It's not a, you get one principle or you get this one or you get that one. And then you get their junior design staff, every single project, all four of us work on that project and all four of us exclusively design the identities. The junior designers and supporting staff do not design the identities. And so we work in a very collaborative, consistently critiquing environment uh, as, we, as we walk through these, these projects. How did you handle that before joining CGH? On your own? It was very tough. I had a, a small network of friends that I would reach out to when, when appropriate, um, but it was always very hard. And it was mostly, most of those were just like checks and balances that weren't, you weren't really getting you know, strategic help because they couldn't get deep into the, into the project to really be able to help you. It was mostly just like, do you see anything blaringly wrong with this? Got it. I um, think blaringly is a word. Sorry. Blaringly wrong. All right. I asked you guys last night, a very hard question that you said you would reflect on. What keeps you up at night? Hustle. I, um, I don't, I don't know. I haven't quite figured out my opinion on this and it's something I want to talk about but I haven't figured out how to articulate it so we're still only halfway there but I I really hate the idea that we encourage everyone to hustle so hard and I don't want to be a, a part of a community that that encourages people to work instead of taking care of themselves and instead of taking time for themselves and, and encourages people to burn themselves out and, and doesn't uh, teach people how to say no and teach people how to say what a reasonable timeline is. And especially because we, 
we kind of make up our own deadlines and, and yet everyone's kind of killing themselves to do, to get to some imaginary deadline. But I haven't quite figured out my opinion on it because it, I feel like my favorite thing to do is to do something really fast and show off that like I can do it really fast. Uh, and it's probably a lot of the reason that I've been successful. So I feel like I'm on a high horse to say you shouldn't hustle, like take care of yourself. Uh, uh, so I don't know. So I haven't, I haven't figured out where I stand on that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're saying you've come from a, a past of working all the time. And you're starting to second guess that? Is that right? I sort of. I uh, when I just don't have that much to do, to be honest. So when someone comes to me and they say, hey, can you do this like in the next week? I can usually do it in like an hour. And then I can I send it to them and I I did, I hustled. But to be honest, it's just because I didn't I just don't have that much to do. Um <laughs> Thank you for the honesty. <laughs> uh, um, but I feel like a lot of people are, like the hustle is just so glorified and, and people are killing themselves over it and, and people don't eat well and, and exercise and take time with their friends and take time with their families. And, and so I don't want to support that. And I don't want to encourage it, but it's, probably how I got where I am. So I don't know where I stand on it. Okay. Mackie, what keeps you up at night? Uh, what if? What if what? Is that opportunity cost? Literally, ever since I've been extremely, I mean, very, very young as far as, far as I can remember, I, I very rarely sleep through the night. Um, and it's a constant question that runs through everything I've ever done. It's just what if? It's always going. It's always going. And that can be, uh, you know, an identity project that can be a snowboard trick. Um, but it's just, what if I just did that? What if we did this? What if that? What if, what if, what if? And it, it fires off all the time and it gets louder at night. Um, that voice. Is that a good thing or is that driving you crazy? It's not good if you like to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) But for you, seems like asking those hard questions at night when you're alone and not being bothered might be useful in some way. It can be very useful. Yeah. Do you want it to change? Or are you happy? With it's, it's what literally keeps him up at night. Literally. Ha ha ha. No, I like it. I like it. I think it's good. Uh, I mean, it, I, it's a part of, of who I am and it's a part of, of what has allowed me to get to this point. And so I will continue to take it. I love it. Guys, we're going to open it up to questions from the audience. Uh, if you have questions, just raise your hand and I'll bring a mic to you. Okay, this one's for Mackie. Um, besides the obvious in the logo presentations you give to clients, is there anything at the new agency that they're doing when they do these logo presentations that are 100 pages long that is insightful that you weren't doing before? Yes. Um, they do a much better job of comparing things than I ever did before where they can show, they, they show multiple examples of similar style solutions working in appropriate industries or 
sometimes just in aspirational industries for some of these you know, newer companies. Um, and those comparisons are very valuable because it allows people to, to not just see them in that space. A lot of us will show work just next to like you put the logo next to the other logos they like, and then they like it naturally. This is just that, but you know, 10 times more. I mean, and explaining the same strategic approaches and, and it works very well. What is your dream project? I kind of want to make a coloring book. Um, I also have never done a top sheet on a snowboard, and that's kind of been a, on the checklist since I was 12. But it's not really like it. I guess, I guess it's kind of a dream. I'm going to give mine to Sagi because I think it's a very valuable project that he wants to do, and I would be very overjoyed to work on it with him. And that would be to uh, finally rebrand Capital One because those suckers have the worst bank logo in the world. <laughs> and yet they hire very, very good creatives. And so it's sad that they are like not empowering them by giving them a memorable identity. Do any of you know what the Capital One logo is? A couple people. It's, it's, it is about as indistinct as you can get. Um, and for such an institution that spends so much money on creative, it's very sad that they haven't taken the time to get that right. And so I know he's always wanted to work on it, so I'd love to get to work on it with him because that would be pretty exciting to see him come to life working on that and Tom and Ivan as well because they have a lot of experience in that realm. Was there for either of you like one big project that grew your personal brand or like something memorable that like grew popularity or just got you to next steps? Um, I worked with Quicksprout for a long time. They're, uh, I was doing, they do search engine optimization. I made eBooks for them, which you probably didn't see, but um, I, he just let me do whatever I wanted. I didn't really like doing layout. So I would throw illustrations in every chance I got, and then I only posted those illustrations. Um, and it just was so much work that I got a bunch of work from that. And it, and it just, I got to try out a new style, and it happened to be the one that got me places. You guys want to answer for me? Instagram. What what happened after Instagram? Oculus. I mean, that was a long time later, but um, no, nothing changed. I mean, I did this the exact same work. It wasn't that I all of a sudden did great work. It was just that more people trusted me. Um, that was re that was really the difference. Um, the work didn't change at all. It just was that enough right people trusted me to then do that for them. As as that trust increases, and as you work on more and more things and touch more and more brands. How do you approach a pricing strategy that keeps you satisfied, but also fair and equitable to the amount of, of trust that you've built over time with clients? Sure. I mean, it's a very challenging question because when you're dealing with brand identity, it's not about, you know, hours put in by any means. It's very much you're giving them something that hopefully will last a lifetime, you know, that, that will hopefully outlive you. And so there is an investment into that, but the time that goes into these things is also ex extremely extensive. Um, and I slowly just increased my prices um, based on recommendations from friends and, and other people that I, I trusted 
one of the things I do now, and even at, at CGH, and they've been doing this for 59 years, and we still don't have a, we still don't have a formula. Um, but you know, we we look at the the information we can get our hands on, like how a, if it's if it's a new company, you know, who are their investors, how much, like how much money do they have? And it's not just that we charge them a bunch of money because they have a bunch of money. It's more of what are they going to be able to do with this? Um, we look at how serious how serious they are, and and the investment of our time that it's going to take and create a quote from that. But there's always a, we, we always, you know, build in now, at least we always build in um, a buyout so that there is a little bit more comfort for them that they'll, they can pay for the work up to presentation. And then, you know, for final artwork and everything, there's an additional fee and then guidelines after that. How about for you, Meg? How do, how do you, have you approached pricing over time? I know that's going to change a little bit now. Uh, I think it's interesting. Everyone takes a little bit of a different approach and we get lots of conflicting advice from many freelancers on how they think about what, what this is worth. I don't know if any project has ever been priced the same. You, I, every time someone comes, I say like one project makes more sense as flat rate and one project makes more sense as hourly or, or you try and find some something in between that makes sense for both of you. I don't know if anyone has ever been priced exactly the same, um, but uh, I do the same thing. I, as I think everyone, I, all the freelancers I talk to, you you have your standard rates, and then when things get busy, you throw out a big number and see what happens. And if people like it, then that's your new standard, and <laughs> and you go from there. <laughs> cool questions. I'm curious, uh, Meg. A lot's been a lot's been said this uh, week about kind of doing your own thing and you know independence and whatever. I'm really curious what made you feel like you, after being independent for a while, why you want a, a full time job? Why why that's important to you at this point? Um, I think I, I'm feeling really static, and I feel like I'm not growing, and I don't think I can learn on my own anymore. I want someone to teach me. I want to be put in situations that I have to figure new things out. I just, I don't think I can learn fast enough and enough things and enough new things on my own. So I need a new challenge. Any more questions, guys? Oh, um, so breakout projects and the things that sort of like give you reputation and recognition to sort of get you to the next level. Um, they like build careers and they build companies. What is like the single most important factor that helped you get those big breakthrough jobs? I don't know. Um, being available right now, to be honest. I can do it right now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, or uh, I guess having a, a identifiable style and something that I someone someone has a problem and they can see the solution and and they can as soon as I started posting real life work and actual projects of other people, then I started getting other real life work. It, any sort of student work doesn't work. Like people just have to be able to apply my work to their problem. They're, does that make sense? And once they started doing that, I started getting real work. 
um, relationships. I think that they are uh, invaluable. And I think that is, it allows um, important characteristics to be revealed. And in cases of, of, of a breakout moment or things like that, where you don't have a, a lot of things necessarily going for you, people being willing to vouch for you or, or knowing you well uh, can do a lot. And then, yes, I think there is something very true about, you know, when they ask you if you're ready to put out a fire, you say, yeah, right now. I like your microphone, T-Mac. Um, but it is a question for you, Mackie. So we met for the first time this weekend or this week. Yes. And uh, you're a really interesting person to me in that you have this juxtaposition of kind of like youth brand culture and you come from a background of skateboarding and snowboarding and stereotypically it's uh, a loose kind of free form culture. And yet on the other side, you're drawn to and, and your work reflects this really refined, really disciplined craft. And so uh, to put it into a question, I guess I'm curious as to your background or your philosophies um, that have combined those two things. Like, sure, yeah. sure. Um, I see the things that I that I get to work on as a as a great responsibility, and I don't take that lightly. Um, I think one of the the better compliments I've ever received was from you when you said uh, that nothing looks like I did it. It just looks right for the company. Um, and, and that's a, the greatest reward I could ever ask for because if it looks like me, I've really caused a problem. Um, it shouldn't be definable. It should only be that company it should be distinctive specifically to them. Um, I just, I love skateboarding and snowboarding and surfing and all those things, what I grew up and the things that I enjoy doing and those do influence me. And those are just other very creative ways to live your life. I enjoy creativity. And those lend the most to that in a single disciplined pursuit, um, even though those are very free-formed things. You can get very focused and very dedicated and learn how to break down your own barriers, learn how to deal with pain, learn how to deal with lots and lots of failure. I mean, the, the premise of skateboarding is all you do is fail over and over and over. I mean, hundreds, thousands of times on the way to every trick. So if that's where you start, and then you get to take that into your, your work, I expect that I will fail hundreds or thousands of times whenever I'm trying to do something that I can be really excited about. So though they may seem extremely different, I think they are, are very tied together. Um, I think that if more people knew how to, to expect to not just get it the first try um, and knew how to push themselves beyond maybe what they felt comfortable with or felt capable of, um, we could have a lot of better not just design in the world, but a, just a, a much better world as a whole. And I guess that's how I got to doing very disciplined design and still being a skateboarder and snowboarder. Um, so I think uh, a lot of people that listen to design details think about, um, think that they might need to move to the Bay Area, right, to be successful. Um, you too have proven that you don't have to be in the Bay Area to be successful. Uh, I'm just curious, have you ever, obviously Mackie, you've toyed with it a little bit. By the way, I hate you for not moving to San Francisco. I still, I still love you. <laughs> I still love you too. Um, 
But have you guys ever battled with that? Um, like the peer pressure of moving from your clients? Um, I know, Mackie, you work with a lot of like Oculus, you know, and Lux and these different clients that are there. You have to fly out a lot. Um, I guess uh, I guess my question is, could you talk a little bit about um, uh, how you've been, you know, either pulled or pushed towards the Bay Area? I think about it all the time. It's, uh, I mean, it, it's, I think I would hate it, but I think it'd be really good for me, but I think I would hate it. I don't know. I kind of always thought of San Francisco as a, a vortex that like eventually is going to catch me. And so I should fight it as long as possible. I think if I, if I was ever going to move to San Francisco, it would be a temporary thing, but I love going there and, and I love the culture there. I just don't think it's for me. And, and I've tried to convince myself that I'm supposed to be there many times. And then when I go to pull the trigger, it's, I know it's not the right fit. Well, Dan, to your question, I think I have two sides. I would like to answer it from a professional perspective because I think that's the the answer you're looking for. But then there's a very personal side to that as well. Um, professionally, I, I do have a very large majority of my clients in San Francisco and I'm not there, but I had an office there, um, which allowed me to get there very quickly because I was willing to go at any at any point in time to to have these meetings. However, the I mean, to Instagram and Oculus to that note, I was not, I did not have an office in San Francisco at either of those times. Oculus was still in Irvine when I worked on that. However, I absolutely know that being surrounded by so many people that are actively involved in these companies is going to generate you more work. There's just no question about that. I don't, that doesn't mean you can't do it from somewhere else and that you can't do it spectacularly from somewhere else. I mean, I think us being here in Utah and we sit around a, a, maybe a third of the people here that are killing it out here um, and doing a great job for everybody show that. However, I think there's a very, there is obviously a truth to when you can just show up and talk to somebody face to face very quickly and very easily that will generate more work on a personal level. I really like San Francisco, you know, and being from California and my family being there and everything. Uh, it's a, it's a good fit. And I really like all of you guys. Um, and I wish I got, was going to get to hang out with everybody more. And that was what I was, something I was very much looking forward to. Um, and I went the other way. I'm curious what skills you guys are uh, most looking forward to developing. And in three years, what do you hope that you're much better at now than you are today? Teaching. I, uh, I, have, a, I have a team. I've never had a team before. That's going to be cool. And shaping and molding people. And, and, and generally, like, people stuff. I've n I don't work with people. I work on my own, on my little computer in some corner of the world, and that's, that's going to be different. And so hopefully, hopefully I'm good at it, or hopefully I'll get good at it, I guess. In three years, I don't know. Uh, I like to think of myself as a freelancer, so hopefully I'll just still be doing my own thing, but... Uh, I don't know. I haven't even started. So may maybe I'm a company person. I, don't know. Uh, I hope that I can develop my discernment skills a lot. Um, being around people who are so quickly able to see things and, um, 
and have a very good reason as to why they do or do not work or what should be elaborated on, uh, I really look forward to learning from that. And hopefully um, just, you know, I, when I'm always asking what if, it's, it'd be a, a lot nicer, or it'd be very nice to be able to know like, what if then that, that would be good, you know? Really nice question, by the way. Time for one more. Mackie, with the generational difference between you and your partners, are there issues or is good branding actually timeless and is it not an issue? Um, there's a massive generational difference. They have made logos that are twice as old as me. That's crazy. Um, I mean, not quite, but very, very close. We're talking about a couple months difference. Um, I don't see it as a, there, there, it hasn't been a problem yet. Um, it's everybody's different and all, you know, all four of us as principals work very differently. And surprisingly, the, the age barrier is not, is not as much of a separation as the creative styles are. And that's been really unique for me to see very quickly. And, um, yeah, it would seem like it's, it's really crazy and like, Oh, how can they get along? How can they work together? They, they, you know, they must work nothing. I mean, they must not work in any similar way. And that's actually very true. Um, but that's the beauty of it. It's like you, you have three other minds that are looking at it completely different than you. And there's a very mutual respect and I'm extremely grateful that they're willing to welcome me to, to that trust level to where they do respect my opinion too. Um, and so it's kind of just like I got to tap in and plug in a whole lot of years of experience that gets to come out right into my work. Um, and so I do think, I do think absolutely that, that good identity work, good visual identities should be timeless. Um, in almost every case, they are meant to last a very long time. And so that should transcend a lot of things. So it works, it works well there. Um, and then stylistically, yeah, we all work very differently and it's, it produces really incredible results. Meg, Mackie, thank you so much. Everyone, Meg and Mackie. That was episode 106. That was our third recording from Epic Currents. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, we're on Twitter at Design Details FM. Leave us a review on iTunes. Those ratings seriously help. So thank you if you've done that already. Or hit us up on our Slack team, spec.fm slash Slack. Yeah, it's, it just keeps getting better. I kind of can't believe how good that community is. Very proud of that. We had a few people on Twitter this week. Like, if you hit me up over spec or if you hit me up in the spec slack team like about a job i will look over your resume like 10x more and that's amazing that's rad uh over 3500 designers and developers are in there again that's at spec.fm slash slack just head there we'll get you an invite and we'll see you in slack see you on wednesday with like 20 or 30 people it's kind of nuts like it's literally like 20 or 30 people i actually don't know what the number is but it was a lot you'll see